Stand back. There's a hurricane coming through. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. But be the man. You gotta beat the man. Ooh, yeah. You got something to Welcome back to another edition of Guys Nation Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, John. John, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Rob. One more for the good guys, unless you're fans of certain wrestlers, and then you never get one more for the good guys. I thought you were going to switch up your your wrestling mottos at the beginning of the show. You keep saying the same one. I know, but... uh, There's creativity. I don't know. You know, when when you find something that works, you stick with it. And our dozens and dozens of fans seem to like that one. Yeah. Yeah. Dozens and dozens of the Guys Nation Wrestling Podcast fans. All of the feedback we get has gone towards the fact that they love the Scott Hall impersonation. All right, all right. It's not not true at all. It's not true at all. I just like it. I keep watching the NWO thing on Netflix Instant. Whatever. yeah. Yeah, I think I watched that too. What did you think of it? Was it... Did it present it in the proper light? I know people are always concerned about how WWF presents WCW. Um, it, it sort of did. It was interesting because I guess um, Mr. Perfect and Dusty Rhodes were part of WCW at that time, and they were involved in the NWO angle. So you got the perspective from uh, Curtis Axel and, uh, mm. and Cody Rhodes, from like being teenagers at the time, uh, a little younger than we were at the time, and yep. they had the uh, the inside track, but yet like their their dads kept them in the dark about a lot of things, and that part of it was interesting. But then uh, WWE tried to revive the New World Order, like yeah, I remember that, and they kind of glossed over that. And they ended up having uh, Austin fight Scott Hall at WrestleMania 18. Right. Uh, one of those. And, yeah. uh, and Hogan against the Brock. And they kind of glossed over a lot of that. And I kind of feel like if you're going to make fun of WCW for what they did during the latter days of the NWO, you should at least talk about how WWE kind of dropped the ball. You know, at least present it like, you know, the fans didn't care even though blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. Um, but it went on a lot more in WWE than, than they uh, than they let us know about. So. You know, and we can talk about that a little later, uh, this kind of concept that, I, that just popped in my head as you were talking. Uh, how many times has WWE attempted to revive something or to continue something that was occurring in WCW and actually had it work. I don't know yeah. that it's really worked. I mean, everybody kind of agrees that the invasion angle was botched. Um, obviously, you're just talking about the NWO. And, right. uh, you know, in the future here, we got a possible Sting uh, 
surfacing for the first time in WWE. Maybe uh, maybe we should be a little more concerned about whether they're going to do that right. Yeah, and, and you know, one of Sting's uh, reasons that he gave for never coming over was that he didn't like how he was seeing his guys get treated, namely Booker T you know, yep. being dressed down by The Rock. Uh, we can get more into that later. But it was it essentially comes down to how did WWE use the guys who were big names in WCW, and that's why he didn't come over. And I read an interview with uh, Jim Ross um, recently where he said that uh, when WWE got Goldberg, that they dropped the ball with Goldberg. Yeah. He openly admitted that. I mean, he was, you know, head of talent operations at the time, and he admitted openly that they dropped the ball with Goldberg. So, yeah, it's all very interesting. Yeah, so at least they're not trying to hide from that, uh, or at least Jim Ross isn't. <laughs> right. So, along the same lines as the you know, NWO, we have a faction that I don't know uh, where we'd rank them all time. I think they're getting pretty high on the list. Shield, uh, not quite the same as NWO because they never actually added any new members like we speculated for a long time. Right. But their impact has been pretty significant. Yeah, I would say so. I, I would say they're certainly the most dominant uh, three-man crew in the past decade or more. Yeah, it's particularly for one that doesn't have Triple H in it, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's been some speculation now that we're seeing a little bit of uh, of a crack, you know, we've, we've talked about that for six months, uh, but it's really starting to happen as far as uh, them going their separate ways, you know, with Roman Reigns having such a great performance, first at Survivor Series and then at the Royal Rumble, uh, breaking the record for eliminations. And uh, you had a couple little altercations there with Dean Ambrose tagging himself in to get the win from Roman Reigns, and then Roman Reigns in the next match tagged Ambrose in on purpose, you know, after he had already speared the guy. Right. So, you know, there's some cracks there, and you've seen uh, Seth Rollins jumping between them. Yeah, so, Peacekeeper. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot to uh, a lot to wonder about with their future here. You know, how many more times are we going to see them come down the uh, the concourse there, the aisle, and enter as a team. Uh, do you do you see the breakup being imminent? I mean, is this something we're going to see before WrestleMania? You know, are they going to be on a path to probably fight, like have maybe one, or, probably two of them fight each other at WrestleMania? Or that's know. the way I see it going, especially because on Raw, before they had a backstage interview with. Uh, with Baby Girl, uh, Renee Young, they uh, they showed like a like a two or three minute hype video, pretty much just um, for Roman Reigns. It was pretty much just outlining the uh, accomplishments as you ran them down from Survivor Series and Royal Rumble. Yep. And you have to think that if they want to say that there's no lead guy in the Shield, that WWE is pretty much saying, hey, you know, you don't, you might not want to have a lead guy, but uh, here's a guy that's most effective. And I, I think that's going to lead to uh, showing more friction between them. Yeah, and they had him be the one that stood in the center and stared down Bray Wyatt directly. Oh, yeah, awesome I mean, confrontation they had. 
Yeah, I mean, you had you had those six guys all standing on the apron, and uh, who's the one that steps into the ring and kind of flexes and says, you want to go, let's go? It was my man, Roman Reigns. And right at that moment, you bust through your jeans, right? You know, I got what we're going to call the wrestling steamies, right? Yeah. You, uh, you watch a movie, and the hot chick comes on, and she's wearing something quite nice. You get the steamies. Right, right. Well, this was this was the wrestling version of that. Hopefully it, your uh, wife wasn't around. You didn't have to throw a blanket no. over yourself to obscure what was going on down there. Nah, she'd have been all right with it. She'd have been like, you know what? She's secure with that. Yeah. So, no, I agree. That was a great moment. And uh, what the stare down in general was just really well done. Uh, the camera angles, you know, they use some kind of angles from kind of in the crowd, really, that they don't use very often. Yeah. Um, so you could just get that perspective of these of these teams staring at each other. And I don't remember when it was. Uh, sometime late last year, and I don't recall what what the situation was, but somehow they ended up, during a match, looking at each other, and everybody kind of went crazy. And that was the first glimpse we had at the idea that they might end up fighting. Yeah, um, I believe... I believe that was some sort of match where the Wyatt family was facing. Uh, I want to say the 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 Broads, hmm. and something happened, and and the Shield came out, and somehow they got in the ring, and blah blah blah. Yeah. So ever since then, it's it's been something where I think a lot of fans are like, "Wow, this is just kind of a unique setup." Uh, with with two really strong factions that are both heels, and you know it's just kind of a, a matchup that you don't see very often. You don't see the WWE try this, right? Uh, so that's really exciting. I'm I'm really looking forward to this match, and it it seems like, especially with having the Wyatts be the ones to back down in that confrontation, that yeah, I mean that we're positioning the Shield to be the fan favorite in this matchup. In particular, Roman Reigns. Absolutely, and don't get me wrong. I'm I'm super excited for this. Uh, I think I think the build the build has been pretty good. Um, certainly for a for a non-title match at a pay-per-view, I think I think uh, we've gotten some some things on uh, on television that that absolutely built this up to be really exciting, really interesting. But I, I just. <laughs> I can't get over the fact that there's some fanboy uh, internet wrestling fans out there who are saying that this is the feud of the year. Is that something you buy into? Well, the year is young. So, I mean, if they mean it's the best feud of this year so far, then sure, I guess I could buy into that. But as far as if we look back on 2014, all we're going to talk about is Wyatt's versus Shield. I, I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, know, unless they extend it out. I mean, I could see them. If, how many times have we seen WWE extend a few three pay-per-views? I mean, they could easily do that. I guess. I mean, you know, I, I know we're only six six weeks into the year, but it's like, oh, man. It just it tears at me a little bit to say that, uh, that this feud, this three-on-three feud that doesn't involve any titles and doesn't, you know. So you're kind of sensitive to superlatives, or, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. You know, people making a a statement of opinion as if it's fact about people's, 
you know, about where guys stand, where a feud stands, and all that. I mean, I just feel like they're getting, they're putting the cart before the horse. I mean, yeah. the feud is, is young. You know, you've had a couple of things where they've, they've been, you know, kind of head-to-head and almost came to blows. You had a couple of times where they fought for, like, two minutes and then backed off. But, you know, these guys, they well, haven't been... You had the Wyatts cost the Shield their chance to be in the Elimination Chamber. Yeah. It's a pretty big deal. No, it is. It is. But I think I think this feud has to go more than just one pay-per-view cycle where they've got members yeah. going against each other to have, to have any kind of way to say that this is going to be the feud of 2014. Well, you know how those guys on the Internet are. And you know who you are, people. Yeah. With your Husky Harris chants. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, I'm excited about it. It's probably, as far as the card for Elimination Chamber, I mean, it's certainly the thing I'm looking forward to the most. Um, I guess the Chamber itself has potential to be surprising. I'm just, at the moment, not expecting a surprise, but maybe that's uh, maybe that's the way they do it. They wait until you're not expecting it, and then they give you the surprise. Yeah, maybe. So... You know, in general, I think we wanted to focus a little bit on Reigns here. Uh, as you mentioned, he got his own hype video there. Uh, the fans were really behind him during the Rumble, especially when it came down to him and Batista. And, uh, you know, he's broken out this Superman punch. The spear is always a crowd pleaser. Um, and now they're trying to give him some personality, I guess, by calling Renee Young baby girl. Right. I think I mentioned to you, you know, that's just kind of, it reeked of, like, attempting to give him some of the Rock's swagger, you know, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And I was just like, ugh, it just doesn't work yet. You know, he's he's a brute. He's not supposed to say baby girl. I don't right. know. I, I yeah, it was know. a little too much too soon. It was, like, coming on too strong. He did, did that in real life, and she would be like, WTF. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of a lot of the chicks that I hear about uh, kind of like him because they think he's hot. So maybe they wouldn't care so much. But yeah, but no, I get what you're saying. It's like he goes from not really talking all that much to suddenly having personality where he's you know trying to mac on uh, Renee Young during an interview. Like, what would you think if? I mean, Randy Orton's been around forever, but what would you think if he just said, "That's right, baby girl," to Renee Young? It would feel a little awkward. Yeah, and he's, at this moment, Roman Reigns is not much better than Randy Orton in terms of personality. They're kind of on the same level. And that's not his fault. You know, he hasn't had mic time. But I'm just saying, right now, as it stands, that's just, it's kind of out of the ordinary. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, either way, that lends itself to the idea that, you know, something's happening with him. Uh giving him that, that chance to show some personality in an interview. So, you know, uh, is this the guy? I mean, we've, we've, we've talked about, over the last couple of years, Ryback potentially taking the next step, uh, which clearly hasn't happened. You kind of wonder what happened with that. He was kind of forced to turn heel. Maybe, maybe Cena had something to do with that. But, you know, his time has come and gone, it seems like. You've got... Daniel Bryan, who's pretty much made the transition from upper mid-card to, to main event level. So he's one one guy that's made it. 
and then you've had you've had like Antonio Cesaro. A lot of people think he should be up there. He's getting there. Great match on SmackDown, but uh, and then and then other guys that we we saw a lot of potential in, like Damian Sandow, and you know nothing's really happening with him. So is Reigns going to follow along the path of these guys where it might take a long time, or or could we see by the end of the year him really being close to the main event, or if not in it? I certainly think it's possible, um, just because everybody in the world who's connected to the business that is willing to speak on things seems to want to say that he's got a bright future ahead of him. Yep. Um, you kind of you kind of asked before the show, kind of said, you know, who you know, is he following a similar similar trajectory as some of the other guys who kind of came in and had success? Yeah. Um, a few guys I looked at. Um, I looked at Batista. I looked at Brock Lesnar. I looked at Bobby Lashley, and I looked at Kurt Angle. And all those guys had a similar. Uh, similar aspect that they were um, explosive and it didn't take them that long to move up and suddenly they were in the top of the card. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, a lot of people probably missed out on Bobby Lashley. Um, he was kind of expected to really, really be the guy for several years, right? Yeah, and they, uh, they started him off somewhat slow, by which I mean they, uh, they they had their ECW show and they had him be the champion of that. They didn't um, break the uh, master's lock. Right. But it was like he was hot-shotted up there too quick. Brock Lesnar, for as talented as he is, was probably hot-shotted up there a little too quick. Mm-hmm. Batista took a little while to get there, and then he kind of hung around with the right people, and you kind of got the sense that he was supposed to be there. And Kurt Angle won just about everything you can in the yeah. span of a year and had a, had a very similar push to what uh, Alberto Del Rio did, um, where, you know, it's like King of the Ring, um, a lower-tier title, and... Uh, you know, Royal Rumble, what you know, all these, all these different things. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure people are going to comment that you know, Kurt Angle probably didn't win all those things all in one year, but Kurt Angle won a couple of different titles, and then by the end of the year was world champion. Uh, and he pretty I, much did it within a year. Yeah, I think he did. And he debuted late '99, and he got all that stuff in 2000. Right. So clearly, Roman Reigns has been around more than just a year. Uh, you know, it's just yeah. a, little, a little over a year now. Um, and, you know, they were, you know, a great tag team. He hasn't had any singles championships. So I would think that the next step for him is very important in terms of, you know, how he's going to progress and where he's going to end up. I, w- I would think that it would be a great idea for him to get either United States Championship or Intercontinental Championship because if he goes straight to the world title after this, I have my concerns that he would be uh, in a similar position to what uh, Lashley or um, even Ryback was. What do you think of the idea of him just getting a U.S. title shot on Ambrose? 
I mean, I think that would be great. I think that's... Maybe that's kind of the ideal setup. Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's a three-way match, I mean, wouldn't you want to see Seth Rollins involved in that? Yeah, and that's a, that's a big question in my mind. You know, I can see a huge, awesome feud between Reigns and Ambrose, and I just personally, I can't wait to see Ambrose as a singles competitor and being able to use his abilities, you know, his kind of manipulation tactics and and Mike abilities. Uh, but I could see that being a great feud between Reigns and, and Ambrose. And, and, yeah, I'm left wondering, well, what, where does that leave Rollins? Um, and that, to me, is the biggest question with the breakup of the Shield is how you handle each guy, and, and especially Rollins. I don't know where he goes because he is ultra-talented um, and he should have a bright future. But you don't want him to take a back seat to those two if they end up just feuding. Right. So it, they've got to do something important with him. It it almost seems like what what you just said about Dean Ambrose using some manipulation and you know his ability to talk around in circles and you know be cryptic and yeah. you know, really sell things on the mic that sets up pretty well for him to uh, find a way to manipulate Seth Rollins to stay with him and True. be heel. Because then you can have the big moment later where Seth Rollins finally realizes that he's being held down by Ambrose, and then you essentially get a second moment, just like you'll get with with Roman Reigns, where a guy who is tired of Dean Ambrose and his shit, yeah, can break away. That makes a lot of sense. I'd I'd, I'd love to see him do it that way. Yeah. So so what they'll probably end up doing is just have them all split and uh, totally forget about all of that. Uh, I'm watching Cesaro do the big spin on Randy Orton from SmackDown. Such yeah, a hilarious that's, moment. That's pretty impressive. It's gotta, it's gotta suck to be the guy that's in that. I'm, I'm a little surprised Orton did it. Yeah. Well, my favorite, my favorite part of that is where you know he starts off and Randy Orton's arms are like out to the side, and yeah. then after about four or five spins, he like starts clutching his head like, oh my god, this really does suck. <laughs> And then, then his arms come out, and he like kind of motions at uh, Cesaro, as if to say like, "All right, you've you've done enough. Let's cut this out." And Cesaro spins him like three more times, and Randy Orton's like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, he sold it better than anyone else too. Yeah, it was pretty was good. Stumbling around afterwards. Uh, anyway, so you know that's an aside. Uh, with the shield, yeah, I like the, your idea. I hope they do it that way. Um, and yeah, I, I just I think that's a huge question about when they're going to do it. And I could just see I could see them taking until the end of the year. I could see them doing it at Elimination Chamber. It's just it's really hard to predict because so many times we thought they were going to pull the trigger on something and they don't do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can pretty much take uh, my predictions and then bet against it and do all right. Um, very very similarly to a. Uh, to a guy from a local radio station that, uh, that's around here, Cakes on the Junkies. You could bet against Always him bet all against. day long. Always bet against Rob. Although yeah. I think you've, I think you've bested me in the pay-per-views more than I've bested you. So my uh, predictions might actually be worse. Well, don't don't own up to that. Yeah. I'm talking more like storylines. Like you know, you can sometimes predict what's you know who's going to win a match at a pay-per-view, but. You know, I might say, oh, they're going to end this with Daniel Bryan, like, beating Randy Orton because you don't want Randy Orton in the main event of WrestleMania, right? Yeah. And then, boom, Daniel Bryan kind of loses and sets up poorly. And 
So one last thing I wanted to say about Reigns. Uh, I don't know if you noticed on, on our favorite forum, R-squared circle, right here in R-squared circle. Um, <laughs> they, I've seen it posted a couple times where somebody found this thread from like uh, 2002, 2003. Oh, yes. Where they were talking about, I guess it was right before WrestleMania 20 maybe, and they were talking about their expectations for WrestleMania 30, like who would still be around, things like that. And one guy says, somebody says something about Cena, because uh, I guess he was pretty fresh on the scene at that point. And uh, one guy said something along the lines of like, Cena's going to be the next big guy and we're all going to hate him, you know, <laughs> over the next decade or something. And that's like exactly what happened, obviously. Yeah. Uh, is that Roman Reigns? I mean, is that is that going to be the next guy over the next decade that just is constantly in the main event and we end up hating him? <laughs> that's quite possible. It's quite possible. If he develops mic skills, I think it's. I think that's the one. The one concern is that you really you need to have those impeccable mic skills to to be at the top, the very tip top, in, in the way that Cena and a guy like Austin has been. Yeah, I, I think. If there was a way that uh, that Roman Reigns would get this, the same type of heat that John Cena's going to get, it would have to be in a situation where Roman Reigns is as popular as John Cena and, and wins as many matches as John Cena and Superman's up like John Cena, but also the way that John Cena refuses to go heel. Because John Cena, the only thing that's changed about him over the past six years or seven years or eight years is the color of his t-shirt. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't really have a change in his character. He's all about hustle, loyalty, and respect. Well, and sometimes he goes with the jorts, and other times he goes with the cargo shorts. He got me there. My uh, my argument is blown. But, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think you would have to have a situation where Roman Reigns becomes really stale and yet continues winning. Well, you could see it, I think, with with the moves he's developing. You know, you could end up in a situation where it's like every match, we're like, okay, power bomb, Superman punch, spear, all right, three moves of doom, whatever. Um, you know, and it, it kind of gets a little stale in that way. I think it's possible. Maybe, but it's John Cena wrestles a flashy style that's not a not exactly filled with great moves. I mean, his STF that he does is not not the greatest application of that moves, but he he dresses it up and makes it look flashy. He gives people something to cheer about, right? Yeah. Roman Roman Reigns works a really tough style. I mean, he makes it look like things hurt. Like, you know, he does the setup to the Superman punch where he kneels down and punches the mat. But that's almost like he's getting himself psyched up. It's not like he's playing to the crowd. I mean, obviously. Oh, but he's that's going to be a big pop moment once he's a true face. Yeah, but if he gets all goofy-eyed and looks at the crowd and then. Yeah, he's you know, not going to do it in that way. Yeah, I mean, Booker T does the spin rooney to play up to the crowd. Shawn Michaels stomps the ground before the sweet chin music because he is warming up because he is ready for that guy to stand up so he can kick his face off. Yep. Like, 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna compliment Shawn Michaels a ton on this show because I've never been a huge fan. He's a great wrestler, great entertainer. But I will give him the fact that the things he does, he does them intensely, and he he doesn't do it for the fans. He doesn't do it to the fans. He like John Cena does the you can't see me and like looks out at the crowd while he does it. Mm-hmm. Roman Reigns does these moves in a crisp way, like in attack mode, not entertain mode, in attack mode. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's so early. Uh, yeah. To say that he's not going to ever become that. No, I mean, I, I guess mean, the Rock. Could. The Rock became that, and he wasn't anywhere near that style initially. Yeah. When he was with the, and I was actually going to point out the similarities of having the Whites and Shield. Uh, to Nation Domination and DX, uh, and you had your breakout star, uh, you know, with The Rock, and, and that start all started with him taking a leadership role in the stable. Yeah, and I actually watched. I've had a lot of time on my hands lately. I was I was sick uh, past couple of weeks, um, so I had a lot of time. I actually watched The Rock's uh, documentary mm-hmm. on Netflix, and uh, it was pretty good. The most and, electrifying man, or the or greatest journey, or whatever of the Rock. It's probably the greatest journey. I, I can't remember yeah. what it was called. I just I finished the Stone Cold one, and there was a link to the one about the Rock, and I was like, well, yeah, why not? Fired up, and uh, I may or may not have done the McFoley one later that day. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I watched a lot. Preparing yourself for the WWE Network, huh? Clearly, clearly, I already planned out a couple of pay-per-views I want to watch, but. Um, the Rock was always kind of intense. Um, I don't think he was ever well. At one point, he was goofy like uh, like John Cena. But I think I think Kurt Angle was probably more along the lines of goofy about how John Cena gets and plays up to the crowd like that. Well, yeah, I was talking about the playing to the crowd stuff because The Rock, you know, his his people's elbow was initially just. He just did the elbow, you know. There wasn't any fanfare, right? And then after a while, it had a ton of fanfare. Yeah, no, that's that's a valid point. Um, either way, I think it's probably still too early to uh, to predict. Yeah, sure. Whether right. or not Roman I think Reigns we beat the shield be. to death. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the actual pay per view. We've got four matches set. Um. What? How do I mean? What do we think in general about the card? How it's shaping up? I, I mean, personally, I think I'm okay with it. Uh, you know, this will be, the, I guess, the first time in a while we've only had one chamber match. At least at the moment, we expect there's only going to be one chamber match. Right. And, you know, you got a pretty cool collection of guys. You can see any one of them winning it, really, probably with the exception of Christian. Um. And probably Cesaro, but I mean, it, Cesaro would be a little more believable than Christian, given that he just beat Randy Orton. Um, right. And then you've got the White Shield that we talked about, and you've got uh, Jack Swagger earning an opportunity at Big E on SmackDown in a four-way match with, uh, was it Kofi, Mark Henry, and Rey Mysterio? Sounds right. It's pretty obvious he was going to win that match. I, you know, thought it was going to be Swagger. So he gets his shot. Uh, which is nice that they made him earn it. And then we've got this Batista Del Rio whatever feud that I guess they're just doing so that both of these guys have something to do. Right. 
so far, I don't know about you, but they haven't done anything to make me uh, want to order this pay-per-view. Probably. When I, when I, yeah, yeah. I, I would kind of agree. When I see that uh, the very next day after that pay-per-view, we're going to get a huge episode of Raw, which could shake everything up, and I'm going to have to shell out 60 bucks for six months of WWE Network, I'm not feeling all that great about spending forty, forty-five, fifty dollars, whatever it is, on Elimination Chamber. Not with, yeah. not with these four matches. Yeah, not at the moment. Uh, I would expect they're going to make a tag team match. Uh, do you want to see the Usos in that spot? Well, that's kind of the way they're selling it, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't really, I don't really care to, I don't really care whether or not the Usos get the tag titles. I mean, they're they're a good team and whatever, but they're kind of. I can't I can't tell them apart. They don't really have personality from one to the other. You know, I was trying to figure out. Okay, Jay wears the face paint on the right, and Jimmy wears it on the left. Well, you know, I. Well, you haven't been watching uh, Total Divas. You know. Jimmy's been all over that. I'm sure he has, but when he gets out to the ring, can you tell him apart? I haven't tried, but absolutely one of them has a tattoo on his pack, and the other doesn't. So that's how the that's how the broadcasters tell them apart. Right. They I gotta, just never gave a crap to actually learn in the way that I do give a crap about the Bellas and figure out how to tell them apart. Exactly. Exactly. And the Bellas gave you a way to figure it out. They made they made it pretty easy. Um, Sweetly. Yeah. One got flotation devices, and the other didn't, and mm-hmm. uh, that works out. You know, so I either way, I don't really care about the Usos. I mean, I'd like to, but I don't. Yeah. And adding Usos versus New Age Outlaws doesn't doesn't make me want to buy the pay per view. So what if we add that, and we add Titus O'Neil versus Darren Young? Honestly. Does that start to help? It does. It does. Get your man Titus that. with his uh, singles run started here. Yep. Been waiting for that for a while. Yeah, and honestly, I think it makes me want to try and find a, a bar around here that's showing it. It still doesn't make me want to pay for it. Sure. Yeah, I'm in the same spot, especially with the fact that uh, the network's launching the next day and Elimination Chamber's going to be available. You know, I probably don't really need to shell out to watch it live. The buy rates are going to be abysmal for that. Yeah, and I just started. I really... Why not just start the network? the day of Elimination Chamber and, and not even bother with the buy rates yeah. for that one. But I don't know. I, I think maybe they want to show people that uh, you know buy rates aren't aren't what they used to be and and uh, so you can expect lower buy rates in the future. True. Uh, but you know I think he, and the more that I'm just thinking about it, as I just said that, it's like it really makes no sense that they're not starting it before Elimination Chamber because that would give them a test run of how their servers handle all the <laughs> the crazy traffic they're going to have oh, yeah. for WrestleMania. That's a good. I, that's that's a that's an excellent point because having worked in IT for the past you know ten years or more, uh, certainly things don't always go the way you planned, and what what a is there a potentially worse spot to start 
you know, showing pay-per-views on the network than with WrestleMania. Yeah. I don't and think last so. year, I ended up getting a refund for WrestleMania because they botched it. Yeah, and you're, you're not the only one. Um, I know there were a bunch of other people who I've talked to that, uh, that also had to do that. Um, so, um, yeah, and the other thing, it's like if, if you want to get people signed up, if it was available on Sunday before the Chamber, I imagine a lot of people would sign up. Just oh, yeah. Because they're, they're thinking, you know what? I was thinking about buying the pay-per-view, but I can sign up my six-month commitment or whatever. It's roughly the same price. Bam, I'll do it. But you make it the next day. How many people are going to sign up on Monday? I mean, are the true hardcores like us, but everybody else might wait a month or two before, you know, like we're leading up to WrestleMania is when they would actually do it. Yeah. And then you're missing out on that subscri- subscriber base that you would have got if you just started it on Sunday instead of Monday. Right. Oh, well. Very very valid point. Your stock, process, stock price is the highest it's ever been, so I guess they're doing something right. Or at least Wall Street uh, likes yeah. to, is pumping it up at the moment. And something. everybody will get out before it pops, I guess. To what degree would you say that... Uh, this pay-per-view looks lackluster because the uh, the elimination chamber seems pretty obvious. Uh, because what the the outcome of the chamber match? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's pretty. It's pretty obvious he's going to win the chamber, right? I mean, are you saying Orton? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Although I do think this this whole CM Punk leaving thing is opening the possibility of Brian winning a lot more than I thought. Okay. Or or being screwed in some way that they can create a triple threat. I don't think that would have happened if Punk had stayed. I don't know. How much how much of the feeling that you know, we don't necessarily want to order this pay-per-view. How much of that falls on the fact that Batista won the Rumble? Not a lot for me personally. It doesn't really affect my decision in this case. Because to me, I look at those at those six names for the Elimination Chamber and I say to myself, it doesn't really matter which one of them wins because I don't see anything compelling about a match between any of those guys and Batista. If you had Batista against Brock Lesnar at Elimination Chamber and the winner got to go to the WrestleMania's main event, that would sell it for me. Because then you have either Batista or Lesnar facing one of those six guys. Yeah. I've always felt like the Elimination Chamber is really weird. You know, and the fact that it's right before Mania, it's just, you know, it, it would almost be better off being what you said and having it be for a shot at the title rather than the actual title. Yeah, and it seems to me like they've done that um, in some past years, I, uh, I'm trying to do something for, um, for the Facebook and the, and the Twitter for, you know, this day in wrestling history. So I went back and looked at a lot of old elimination chambers. Um, and I was just taking notes, so I don't remember, I don't remember full sale what had happened at a lot of them, but it seemed like there was, there was more than a couple where, um, the elimination chamber was was actually important, but it wasn't necessarily for the belt. Yeah. 
Well, we'll have plenty to talk about when we do our preview show. Um, I think I think at least we got to be somewhat encouraged that they set an Intercontinental title match yeah. sooner than the day of. Uh, that's one positive that we can take away from the build so far. Yeah. Um, let's move on to our next topic. We wanted to talk about the old-timers that are coming back, or at least that we expect are coming back. We don't have any you know, concrete evidence that they are. but uh, And, you know, it's funny. I, I happen to be watching uh, Ring of Honor at the moment in the background. Nice. From a couple weeks ago, they got one of their old-timers back. Oh, yeah? Who's that? Well, he left TNA recently. Is it AJ Styles? Yeah. Nice. He's wrestling his first match here. It's pretty good. And I, uh, I think I mentioned to you over chat, uh, this guy Andrew Everett they got is it's pretty exciting. Nice. Could see him uh, making it sometime. I was really excited to hear that Ring of Honor was getting uh, a television deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Sin- I guess it's the Sinclair Broadcasting Group that that has them. But I can't get it. I've got I've got you know a thousand channels. Yeah. And I don't get Ring of Honor. They showed in Baltimore, but yeah, they don't have it on in DC area. They yeah, got it on fr- the uh, Fox channel here at like 1 a.m. on Saturdays. Uh, see, I would DVR that every week, and I would I would watch it before Monday morning. I've been to probably four or five shows. Um, a lot of guys that I really like either came from there or um, still work there. Uh, they had a lot of guys from Japan that were really awesome that I saw there. Mm-hmm. I can't get enough of it. Yeah, they're doing a good job so far from what I see. The the ref is funny because he's just completely out of shape. So yeah. I, uh, so anyway, the old timers. Yeah. Uh, so so this is this this kind of goes back to something that I was kind of mentioning about being not interested in buying Elimination Chamber, is because from what I've heard, a lot of you know there's three big names that could be showing up on February twenty fourth. On that raw. Oh shit! Oh, did you Jay get to the part? Completely botched a uh, some sort of jump off the rope. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. Well, there's <laughs> there's a part in one of his matches in Ring of Honor where he uh, he drops a guy on his head and knocks him out. Wow. Looked pretty bad. So anyway, uh, the raw after Elimination Chamber. There's the potential that Undertaker's coming back. There's the potential that Hulk Hogan is showing up. And there's a potential that Sting is going to be there. Yep. Now, how crazy is that to have those three guys? I mean, potentially you have Undertaker versus Sting at WrestleMania, but that's not set in stone. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people like myself who hope it's not set in stone because I don't want to see that match. You know, I mean, Undertaker's been out a year, and there's a lot of people saying that he wasn't going to wrestle. There are other opponents I would have for him other than Sting. And he's has he shown up at this point regular like usually or are we still not to the point where he normally shows up? Who Undertaker? Yeah. It seems to me like Undertaker typically shows up the day after Elimination Chamber. Okay. Um, so he's he's pretty much right on schedule for when he uh, is supposed to come back. Mm-hmm. I believe but, that show is going to be in Chicago. Um, I know he come. I know they go to Chicago. I believe it's 
March 3rd. Oh, okay. Maybe it's the next week then. Yeah. Never mind. Go but, ahead. But here's here's the thing about Sting. You know, we all know Hogan, right? I mean, we all we've all seen Hogan. Uh, we don't know what shape he's in. We don't know if we want to wrestle or not. You know, that's that's a different topic. Mm-hmm. Not everybody knows Sting. My dad knows Sting. Does he? But but that's only because he used to check out some WCW back in the day. Um, but not everybody knows Sting. Sting has never been in WWF. Never in WWE. They've tried a little bit with some of the uh, packages. He's been he's been shown in packages before. What's going to sell it for me is tomorrow night when they announce the next name in the Hall of Fame. You know, you got Ultimate Warrior, you got Jake Roberts, you got Lita. All three very solid choices for the Hall of Fame. If you're bringing in Sting for this WrestleMania. You need to start selling him as a huge name going into the Hall of Fame, and you need to start it a week before he's potentially going to debut. Mm, so you think they might actually announce him as a Hall of Famer? I hope they announce him as a Hall of Famer, because clearly he deserves it. But if they seriously want him to be at WrestleMania, and if they're going to have him debut on the 24th, then on the 17th, going to be the 17th. Am I getting my days right? Yep. On the 17th, they need to announce him as a Hall of Famer. They need to show a good four-minute hype video. And then they need to have Jerry Lawler and a couple other people hype him up as a guy who they always wanted to see in WWE and how they had all these dream matches. They need to talk about how he had some great matches with Ric Flair, who everybody knows. They need to talk about him having matches with Hogan and having that huge feud. Yeah. And then, and then they need to drop the idea of there's other guys they always wanted to see him with. Because What do you mean you drop? As in, like, not, drop. not use it? or No, no, no. They, they, they need to name drop. Uh, you oh know, they need, to, they need to drop into conversation the fact that there's guys... But they wanted to see him fight. Right. Not like, not like drop the topic. I'm, I'm saying, you know, mix it into the conversation. Okay. Because, I mean, how much have you seen Sting wrestle? Oh, very little. I, I saw probably a little bit in the early 90s. Uh, you know, before I was really a huge fan of wrestling, you know, I just kind of saw some WCW shows. Right. That was it. I didn't really watch them again. Uh, I watched maybe a couple shows right before they got sold to the WWF, but I don't even know if you... I remember seeing Booker T and Signer, but I don't know if I saw Sting. Yeah, and honestly, a lot of the WWE fans are too young to have even watched WCW. Yeah, I mean, it's we're belaboring the point at this yeah. at this point, but yes, it's true. He is not very well known to the right. fans, uh, and even someone like me who is a wrestling fan haven't really bothered to investigate Sting, partially out of laziness, but partially because I, nothing I've ever heard that Sting has done has compelled me to go check it out, you know? Yeah, if, if, if you told me to find you five 
videos on YouTube or Dailymotion or whatever um, to give you an idea of what Sting is all about and to get you hyped up for the fact that Sting might be there, it's going to take me a while. If you ask me to do the same thing about Raven, I'll do it in the next 10 minutes. Well, that already happened. You sent me like 15 videos. I did, yeah. Uh, so who would he compare to that we've seen in the WWF for a long time, but like a guy that's been around that long, kind of, he's important, yet he was never, he never was that memorable to, to the word you could find matches and point to, you know, this is this is who he is. There's got to be somebody that's somewhat comparable that we're more familiar with. Um, maybe, uh, maybe, the, eh, I was going to say Orton, but. I was almost going to say, uh, well, I don't even want to say Gold Dust because Sting is clearly more important than Gold Dust. Yeah. Maybe uh, Big Show. That's, you know, that's not a bad comparison. Um, I mean, Chris Jericho has had some really good feuds. But yeah, I mean, uh, what would you, what would you, if you had to come up with a Big Show's top three or five moments or matches, I mean, could you even think of any? I liked what he did with CM Punk, but that's not going to get anybody excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, anyway, I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there to see if we could come up with some, an example that we're more familiar with in, in kind of where Sting is. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you the name, and uh, it's probably going to not sit too well with a lot of people. That's Edge. Because mm. for me, like Edge had a couple of good feuds, but if if uh, if my nephew, you know, who's 16 years old, if you try and tell him he needs to know about Edge, what am I going to point him to? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how about uh, how about him in bed with Lita? Yeah, I'd probably have to wait a couple of years. In for, the ring. <laughs> yeah, before <laughs> I... Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. But in terms of feuds that he had, I mean, yeah. you got the John Cena feud, which was good. You got the Mick Foley feud, which was good. They had some, like, classic street fights, him and Cena, right? Um, I think I remember seeing so- some videos on that. that. sounds right. I mean, he had a good feud with The Undertaker where he hit The Undertaker with a camera. Uh, I don't yeah. know. But I mean, if if I really thought about it, I could you know I could get some stuff for Sting. Sure. I guess. So yeah, I, I think that's a decent idea. I mean, I would be a little surprised if they announced him as a Hall of Famer, without having wrestled a match in WWF. At this point, I, I'd, I'd see him more likely to be announced next year. I wouldn't be opposed to them doing it this year, and I understand your your point about how it would familiarize people with him and make make them think that he's important because he clearly is. Right. Uh, I would just be surprised. I, it doesn't feel like something they're going to do. But, in fact, to me, I don't feel like he's coming at all right now. I don't, I don't know. It's just... I think we would have seen him already. There's no reason that we wouldn't have seen him already unless they just desperately want to do it after Elimination Chamber, but... You know, for a guy like Taker, we know why it takes him a while to show up. What's taking so long with Sting? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he—he's been out of TNA for 
at least a month, right? Uh, reportedly, yeah. I mean, that that kind of those kind of details are kind of fuzzy. I don't. Uh... Well, I mean, when was the last time he was on TV? Right. Well, but they they taped their stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, beforehand, and I, you know, right. They would have probably had a contract with Sting, so he might have had a no compete clause. But I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but either way, they might have been saving it up so that he could be the fourth fourth Hall of Fame member announced. I yeah, I, I think that's a decent point. I hadn't heard anybody bring that up, so uh, I'll give you credit if it happens. But I think the, the the interesting thing for me is the first Raw after Elimination Chamber could just totally change the face of WrestleMania. Yeah, could. Because Hogan might have a match, and so if Hogan shows up, then you have to start the discussion about whether Hogan's going to be in a match. If Taker shows up, you have to start talking about who his opponent's going to be. And if Sting is even mentioned, maybe Sting doesn't even get named to the Hall of Fame until that show, and maybe he just doesn't show up. You have to start talking about whether he's going to be at WrestleMania. Well, yeah, and you know, you also have to, you're going to have a bunch of guys floating in the wind there after the chamber match. You know, you're going to have what's what's next for Sheamus, what's next for John Cena. Potentially Daniel, Daniel Bryan. Bryan. All those guys are going to be needing fe- new feuds. So. Yep. And you're going to have to figure out what happens with the Shield. I mean, if they're staying together, great. If they're looking like they're going to break up, great. Whatever. But one way or the other, the Shield don't have a set in stone match for WrestleMania. Yep. The day after uh, Elimination Chamber, and same with Wyatt Family. Yep. I mean, there could be a lot going on. There's only going to be one match set for WrestleMania the day after Elimination Chamber. That is true. Yeah, that's they, they'll have a lot of work to do. Um, I guess they're going to have about six Raws maybe to do it, so we'll see. Yeah, um, pretty, pretty standard. So I think the final topic we wanted to cover, unless you had any more about the old-timers. No, that's... that's uh, is... You know, where we see Daniel Bryan right now, um, obviously the fallout from the Rumble has been tremendous. And particularly with Punk uh, stepping out of the building, uh, it looks like maybe Bryan's taken his spot um, in terms of storyline. You know, you kind of think maybe Punk was supposed to be feuding with Triple H, and now you're seeing Bryan in the ring with Triple H a lot. Um... You know, and the, and the 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 constant theme over the last year, almost really since the summer, was the face of the WWE, and and even just and not necessarily the theme on the show, you know, because we've heard Triple H say it a million times, and Randy Orton and everybody, but even the fans, you know, have thought, who's the next guy? Who's the next Cena? Uh, Cena's pretty much been on top of the company for eight years. And I'm sure throughout those eight years, we've we've been debating whether a guy like Edge or Orton or whoever is going to be the one to dethrone Cena, and nobody has. So now Daniel Bryan question is raised. He's clearly as over as anybody's ever been with these yes chants, Austin-esque type volume from the crowd. Uh, although I am hearing his merch sales aren't as good as they should be, which is a little surprising because I see a lot of people with those yes towels. I gotta imagine those cost some money. Uh, probably a little bit, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's 
ultimately, a lot of a lot of our listeners probably, you know, the dozens and dozens, are thinking, <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this is the next guy. This is the guy that should be pushed uh, to the moon. He should be on the radio shows. He should be cooking with Rachel Ray. <laughs> You know, he should be, uh, you know, in the main event. He should be the guy that has the main event without having a belt, like John Cena does. Right. Uh, where do you stand on that, as far as what you think, where you think he should be, and then where do you think he will end up? I kind of like the slow build. Um, you know, at, at the WrestleMania where he got his head kicked in by Sheamus and lost in 17 seconds or 7 seconds or however long it took. Um, I was disappointed, and I was disappointed to see him take a step back into the tag division. Mm-hmm. But then seeing him come back up, seeing him go head-to-head with Triple H on the mic in the ring, getting over as, as the uh, anti-establishment guy, I think it's good for him. Um, I think, uh, you know, if he wins the Elimination Chamber and then Batista is the guy who is representing the authority and it's Daniel Bryan against Batista at WrestleMania, I like it. But if Daniel Bryan goes against Triple H at WrestleMania, I like it. If Daniel Bryan has to take on a member of the Shield... That's not quite where I'd like him to be, but we'll see. It, but it, it seems pretty clear to me that they're making him the focus now. It's it's not just they're not they're not just leaving him off of things. They're not just keeping him on the sidelines so that you know they can try and get the fans to forget about him. They're they're making him a focal point of the show by saying he's not a focal point. Yeah. And I think what you said to start out is is kind of a term that people have been hearing tossed around, and I think a lot of people are upset about it, is the slow burn. Uh, I've seen plenty of arguments back and forth of people saying, be patient, it's a slow burn, you know, they're building this. And then other people being like, you're crazy, they're not building anything, he'll never get there, they're just doing this to to have him do something, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of those people are crybabies. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, I don't get what I want right now, so, you know, it'll never happen, you know. So you are agreeing with Triple H. Yeah. When he said, oh, did somebody not get what they want? Right, and and don't get me wrong, I was disappointed with Royal Rumble. I'm not saying I wanted Daniel Bryan to win the Royal Rumble. That would have been cool. But I wish he would have come out. He had to be in it. I mean, that's yeah. just so dumb. Yeah. To not have him even in it. And he wasn't which, which in to it. to me, and I think I even said this on a previous show, is the fact that he wasn't in it is so egregious that it had to be on purpose, and they had to have been hoping for this reaction. Oh, yeah, they were definitely trolling fans Because it can't have been that dumb. That. Yeah, they were definitely trolling the fans with that. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, if they could go back in time and, and do it over knowing that CM Punk was going to be sitting on the sidelines, Mm -hmm. if that's legit anyway, uh, I think they probably would have given Daniel Bryan the CM Punk role where he came in first and 
lasted, you know, pretty late and then jobbed out to Kane. Yeah. If they would have gone that route. Yeah, even that part of it didn't make sense. You, we've been expecting a Kane-Daniel Bryan feud forever. That would have been a chance to do one. Yep. Um, so, you know, but that, that still leaves the question that I, I don't know that you really gave me your opinion on whether he's ever going to be kind of at that ultimate level of, you know, a guy that has an era almost in the way that Cena's had an era. And maybe not as, obviously not eight years, but, you know, can we have an era of Brian? Can he be that guy that's at the top? Um, you know, I, I think he can. I, I think there might be a difference in a guy having an era and a guy being the face of a company. Like, I think you can look back and say that Edge had a lot of the uh, more interesting storylines, most interesting feuds, the best matches over the past eight years, but you could still say that John Cena is the face of the company over that time, you know? Yeah. I'm still not sold that, that Daniel Bryan is is the type of guy that goes on The Tonight Show, the type of guy that goes on Letterman, type of guy that's the face of the company goes on uh, whatever the, the Regis, and, Regis and Kelly show is. Yeah. Strahan. Yeah, and that's uh, that's kind of what, what we wanted to talk a little about. Um, that I, you know, as I was watching SmackDown last night and rambling off uh, commentary to you when you weren't there, <laughs> uh, you know, it struck me that Daniel Bryan, I think, think fits the mold of Bret Hart a little bit in that, you know, he's a guy, in particular, hardcore fans, fans that really appreciate the technical side of of this art form, um, obviously gravitate towards, and he's had a real long build. You know, Hart didn't get to his title run until he was in his 30s. Right. Um, and, you know, Hart was also considered kind of undersized. And uh, a little bland personality-wise. And that's really, you know, that's part of the rub on Brian is that people kind of thought he didn't have enough of a personality. And I think even with the yes chants being as big as they are, you still hear sometimes when he gets on the mic, it's just not really there. Um, and so to me, I was like, you know what, the, the closest comparison Daniel Bryan has really is Bret Hart, you know, and, and I think his fate might be similar in that he'll get a reign uh, possibly at some point, but you know, I don't think the WWF or WWE and and fans look back on what would possibly be considered the Bret Hart era as as a particularly strong time period, um, which is not necessarily his fault. But I think part of it can be attributed to him simply because I, I just don't know that he had enough of the charisma that you need to be to be that top guy. And I, I think Daniel Bryan might kind of suffer that same fate. Well, I, I think, first of all, I like the comparison for Daniel Bryan to Bret Hart. Um, I would have to say that for the comparison to go a little further, you almost have to go um, that Daniel Bryan is like a mix of Bret Hart and... Austin, mm -hmm. because 
he's got the anti-establishment part of it. I mean, I know we've talked about this before in that, you know, you had Austin McMahon, and now you're having Daniel Bryan, Triple H. And I think if CM Punk comes back, I think CM Punk, Triple H, becomes the new Austin McMahon. I don't think Daniel Bryan gets to be in that role. And I think at that point, I think Daniel Bryan's closest comparison is Bret Hart. And I don't know that Daniel Bryan would get the same opportunities that Bret Hart got because there's so many other people that WWE would want to focus on now that they didn't have with Bret Hart in his heyday. Yeah. And I agree with you uh, on Triple H and Punk being the more appropriate feud. Uh, that works on a lot of levels, and I, I kind of hope that that happens. Um, they would take Punk coming back, but you know. And and one other thing I wanted to point out, and I, I don't know maybe how you feel about it. You had been, I, I assume you had, you were already a huge Red Heart fan before he won the WWF title, right? Um, or did that, pretty, did that really start to develop after he had gotten to that level? I would say WrestleMania 8 is really when I started becoming a really big fan of his. Against Roddy Piper? Against Roddy Piper with, with the great finish to that match. That The finish to that match showed me that Bret Hart was the kind of character who was technically savvy enough to find a way to beat you because he was smarter than you are. And to me, those are the types of characters, those are the types of athletes that I prefer. I prefer Peyton Manning, who doesn't go out with supermodels. He stays at home, and he studies the playbook. He studies your playbook. He studies all of your footage. And then he's just smarter than you when it gets to the field. My favorite pitcher of all time is Greg Maddox, who didn't overpower you with a 102-mile-an-hour fastball, but he was technically proficient enough to paint around the corners, and you were just going to look at the pitch and say, "Oh my God, I can't believe he did that," or "I can't believe he knew that," you know. After you know two strikes, I'm going to swing at anything, and he's going to put it in the corner where I can't hit it. Those yeah, are Peyton guys Manning I was. Uh, Peyton Manning was pretty smart when he let that snap fly over his head on the first play of the game. Oh, uh, that's that was the center's fault. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I get your point. And, but the reason I bring that up is that, uh, you know, we were around the same age, obviously, and so we were both probably, what, about 11 when he won the title. I guess maybe you were 12, whatever. We're kids in the, in the demographic right. that the uh, WWE tries to appeal to. At that point, when that happened, and it was a weird title change because it wasn't on TV. It was at right. a house show. I remember thinking how odd that was because I didn't think Bret Hart was at that level. Um, you know, I, at that point, I had only ever seen like Undertaker and Macho and uh, Hogan and Ric Flair have the belt. Um, I started probably about a year before Bret Hart won it, kind of paying attention. And so I remember it striking me as really odd because he had had the Intercontinental and there there seemed to be a clear difference between the guys that would wrestle in the Intercontinental matches and the and the championship matches. Right. Uh, so it struck me as weird and I, I, 
had a hard time buying him. Um, and that's just, you know, just in my feeble childhood head. That was kind of how I thought about it. So I wonder these days if kids are somewhat on that same level with Daniel Bryan. I wonder if when he won it, they had trouble believing it, you know, and that maybe some of that goes into the thought process of WWE deciding whether or not to really roll with him in the way that they already rolled with uh, CM Punk for so long, you know? Well, when Daniel Bryan first won the belt, I think he was feuding with Mark Henry and Big Show, and I was under the impression he was not going to win, but I like the fact that he was, you know, at least in the conversation. And then he ended up winning. What's that? That belt's not as important, though. Right, right. I mean, I know it is to purists, but it, it's not to the fans. No, no, I know, I know. But, <laughs> but to at least call him a former world champion yeah. puts it in a different perspective than what... I mean, calm down the steamies over there, Rob. No, no, I know. <laughs> um, but to my, to my recollection, I can't, I can't think of a world title match that Bret Hart had prior to that match with Ric Flair in Saskatoon yeah. or wherever it was. Yeah, it was Saskatchewan, kind of about Saskatchewan Palace in Saskatoon. And wasn't the story that Ric Flair was leaving right after that? Because he did leave, right? Um, so they essentially had to find someone to give it to. Right. Um, he went right back to WCW not too long after that. Yeah, he... Well, not... Not too soon. I don't after think he stayed that. around. I think he was done after that. Um, well, that happened October of '92, and then he teamed with Razor Ramon to take on Savage and Perfect at Survivor Series a month later. He appeared in the Royal Rumble. Uh, oh, that's so he right. Was, he he was gone feed. within four months. I mean, he didn't he didn't stick around for WrestleMania. Yeah. I don't know why they would have done that, but so you only had like a year contract, basically. Essentially, but at that at that point, there weren't a lot of guys that you could you could have Brett work with. I mean, Bam Bam Bigelow had never been in the main event. Yokozuna, yeah, um, was just getting there. Well, my my point in general was uh, with, with with Bret Hart winning at that point. Uh, Somebody had to have the belt, uh, right. and I just don't know that they really wanted him to be their guy. Um, and that's the, that's obviously at least on screen what we're seeing with Daniel Bryan, and I think that's probably the case in real life that they just I don't know that they necessarily want him to be their guy. <laughs> I don't think he I don't think he fits what they want. I mean, clearly he doesn't have the body type that traditionally they like. But I think even beyond that. Um, I don't think they're a huge fan of the whole yes thing. I think that's probably along the lines of what, where they find it more disruptive than helpful at this point. Yeah, that's safe to say, I think. Yeah, and uh, yeah, kind of just the way that the, that the, you know, the some of the, the fans that are just so childish about it, you know, that it's almost, they're like, ah, what are we going to do with this guy, you know? Like they like him, but they don't like the what's happening with him, you know. 
Yeah, at, at some to some degree, I think that the WWE doesn't like to like to feel out of control. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, I think they like to control who's over and who's not over, which is why I think they like to sometimes bury guys once they come in from WCW or TNA or Ring of Honor or wherever um, ECW back in the day. They sometimes bury those guys. And then build them back up because they want to. They want to feel like they were in control of a guy being over, and they want to know why he's over. They want to make it a science, you know. Yeah. They want to. They want to say, "Oh, we know what we're doing," and they don't want to just catch lightning in a bottle. Well, I mean, that's in some ways it's hard to blame them. That's kind of the. That's kind of the crux of the entire industry is that you're. You're you're giving them a story, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, it's only it's only really since you've been able to put wrestling in these gigantic arenas that the crowd can make enough noise to disrupt the show. I mean, originally they were in small houses, and you know the promoters did what they wanted. They didn't have to listen to fifty people. Right. But now you're in arenas. With twenty thousand, that kind of affects the product. Yeah, but you also so have maybe it's a little bit of old thinking that they just have never really grown out of. Yeah, but I, I think there's also opportunities with the big houses. Um, there's opportunities with all these, you know, um, forms of new media and whatever. And I think WWE needs to start kind of buying into it. And I think other companies need to also, is because you have the chance to figure out what the fans want. You have a chance to see what it is they want to pay for and then find a way to build up to that. I mean, I, I think I think part of the reason why Bret Hart got the championship in 1992 is because they had some shows overseas and in Canada and wherever, and they said these are huge, huge potential markets that he's doing really well in. So let's take advantage of that. But when you say give them what they want and what they're willing to pay for, I, I feel like if I were on the other side and, and on the business side of the WWE, I wouldn't want to give them what they want because as soon as you do, then they have what they want. They pay for the next one. But if you withhold it and give them the hope that they might get what they want for a longer period, then they buy more. And and the, you know, the counter to that is that, okay, well, people are just going to give up and stop paying. Well, so far they don't have evidence that that's going to happen. Um, I, I don't know. Because still, is... People still come back. Every last dummy on the Internet that says they're quitting WWE is right back watching Raw. Well, that's... That's those are people who are uh, dedicated enough to the product that they talk about it online. But you know what so, I mean. It's like every time, you know, it, it, there's almost. It's really hard for them to to screw up bad enough to lose fans, you know. And but if they just if they just roll with Brian and and like give everybody what they want, then then they got to figure out something else for people to look forward to, you know. Well, but if I, they keep it on the side like that, then... 
And and this is where I point to Stone Cold Steve Austin because that was one of the highest points in the business, um, even over in WCW with Sting trying to get the belt from Hogan. You know, anybody trying to get the belt from the NWO. You have guys who the fans want to see get to the pinnacle. You have guys who the fans want to see get the belt. And with Austin, they got him there, and then they dangled it, and he got the belt, had it for a little bit, and got it taken away. I mean, it's it's not necessarily about you know letting the fans have exactly what they want. But it's, it's at least saying, okay, we know what you want, so we're going to focus our show around that character trying to get what you want him to try and get. Yeah. They're going to center the show around Daniel Bryan wanting the world title. You know, I mean, fans want Daniel Bryan to stop getting screwed over. They want to see more of him. They want to see him succeed. So that's what the storyline is. Yeah. Well, they've yeah. done that, you know. I mean, for his last six months, he's been in the title picture as much as anyone. Yeah, but I, I think I think at some point you have to give him the belt, give him a little bit of a run, and then take it away again. Yeah, I think that was the ultimate failure. Is that you know, especially when he won it like, back from Orton, uh, was it Night of Champions? One of those. And then they took it away on the next night on Raw. Right. They should have let him roll with that to the next pay-per-view. Yeah, or at least, I don't know, given given something that that night on Raw that says, you know, you have the belt now, and you can enjoy having it this week, but next week we are going to find a way to screw you out of it. Yeah. Because then you have the fans like, well, we don't want to see that, but let's tune in to make sure it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And then you find a way to do that, and then you're like, the next week, well, I want to find out how he's going to respond. And then you want to see if he's going to be successful. And then yep. it's like, but if you keep screwing him over month after month, the fans eventually say, we're never going to get what we want. You know, we're never, we're ne- you know, we want but the same thing. But as a promoter, you want to push the fans right up to that edge and then finally give it to them. Yeah. Oh yeah, you have so to. So that's probably the dance. That's probably the act they're going through right now, and and maybe with what happened at Rumble, they're like, oh crap, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to move on this. You know, yeah. it got they they just. I'm sure they knew the fans were gonna be disappointed, but they probably didn't realize it was gonna completely ruin Batista's return. Yeah, well, that's why at WrestleMania, Daniel Bryan either has to be involved in the world title picture or he needs to be involved with Triple H, because those are the two things that the fans want right now. The fans want... Yeah. I mean, you've taken Shawn Michaels out of the picture. I mean, there was a point where people wanted to see Daniel Bryan get some revenge on his uh, on his former mentor, because Shawn Michaels cost him the belt, you know, kicked him in the face after Daniel Bryan did whatever he did at Triple H. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a time when that's what people wanted to see. But all we've seen is Daniel Bryan put Shawn Michaels in the S-lock. And was that satisfying enough? Maybe, maybe not. But And then Shawn Michaels, did he? I think he predicted Daniel Bryan to win the Rumble, didn't he? I think Somebody so, Somebody did. Yeah. One of them did, and he wasn't even in it. Right. <laughs> but Yeah, 
All right, well, we'll see where that goes. Uh, I think we probably need to wrap it up here. Uh, any other uh, any other quick topics you want to talk about? You want to talk about uh, CM Punk for 20 seconds? Yeah, I mean, there's been a little discussion about, you know, he potentially has an opportunity, although I, I would think you have to wonder about his WWE contract, but, um, you know, whether he would be able to go to TNA and whether they would figure out a way to move him over there and the kind of impact he could have, <laughs> pardon the pun. <laughs> um, uh. And he's truly probably probably the one, I don't, I don't know that anybody else could do it in the way he could, the one guy that could go over there and turn them around. You know, I, I uh, think... Because he would bring a lot of legitimacy with his ability in the ring and, and on the mic. And he's got a great mind for the business, so if he had some good creative control. Um, and he, it would get me to tune in. You yeah, know, and I'm a guy that they they need to figure out a way to reach. And right now they're not doing it. You know, I, I think he would need to have some sort of crazy uh, creative control where he would have not only uh, some say over what he was doing, say over you know, how he was getting used, but he would also have to have something involved where he could say, look, the other stuff that's on the card, a lot of it's crap, mm -hmm. so you need to cut this out or I'm not going to be involved because I, I sent you a link to a video for a new character that they're going to debut named Willow <laughs> that was... The, the it was a video. lesbian witch on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, you, you at this point you almost wish it was Allison Hannigan coming to TNA. And because, it was a, and it was a cheesy '80s movie with a dwarf. Yes, it was. I, I, I would almost rather see Warwick Davis in <laughs> TNA right now than to see uh, this new character played by Jeff Hardy. Definitely looks like Jeff Hardy for the people that have seen him in the past year or two. You can tell that it's Jeff Hardy. If you if you haven't seen Jeff Hardy in a few years since he's been WWE, you might not recognize him. But yeah, I didn't know initially. But yeah, I mean, I guess the dreads should have given it away. Yeah, and stuff like that. It's just not. CM Punk might bring you over to TNA, but it's going to be a situation where you just you DVR it and you fast forward through everything else just to see what CM Punk does. And in the end of the day, that's not gonna that's not gonna help turn them around. I tuned in on Thursday. Yeah. And there was a guy holding a briefcase. Oh yes. What in the world are they doing, having a briefcase? Well, they. I mean, come on! And then they're like, and then they and then they acted like it was some sort of incredible idea that MVP had when he said we're gonna suspend it over the ring and put a ladder. <laughs> like, come on! You gotta yeah. be able to come up with something on your own. Well, it's not like it's not like it's something that they just started doing. It's the feast or fired, and it started back in two thousand seven. Uh. Um, and essentially, it's a ladder match where there's four briefcases, and each one has a title shot at at one of the titles, except for the fourth one, which is a briefcase that uh, has a fired thing in it, and some guy gets a pink slip. Hmm. 
But it's it's kind of dumb because you have a match with like 20 guys and four briefcases. So if you just sit outside the ring and let everybody else get the briefcases, then yeah, you don't get a world title shot or a tag title shot or an X division title shot. But you, don't but you also fired. don't get fired. Yeah. I mean, that's a decent twist, but it's just the whole thing was like, as a fan of the WWE that doesn't watch a lot of TNA, when I tune in and I see that, I think, well, this is a cheesy ripoff. You know, I'm sure there's a lot more history, and it's not a cheesy ripoff, but that's that's what the layman thinks when they tune in and see that. Yeah, and, you know, even though it does go back to 2007, Money in the Bank goes back to 2005, so it is kind of a ripoff. It's one of the more interesting things TNA does, but yeah, just like you mentioned, I mean, for the people that just tune in, it seems like, wow, okay, they're definitely ripping off WWE. Yeah. And just like when you watch Willow, you think, oh, well, they're just ripping off WWE with Bray Wyatt, and you don't really know that this is a character Jeff Hardy has had, you know, in his back pocket for... I don't know, yeah. since before he debuted in WWE, but it still seems like a rip-off, and it still kind of is because they haven't used it all this time. Mm-hmm. So I guess my whole point is would CM Punk make people tune into Impact? Yes. But will it have the same effect that the NWO had on WCW? No. Because everyone I know who kept tuning in to Monday Nitro wasn't just about the NWO. They were excited about the Luchadors. They were excited about Goldberg. What about if he does go? And I I think it's, like, incredibly unlikely. Oh, absolutely. If he he were to show up on TNA, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the ways that it could be made more exciting is if he starts a stable of some sort. Yeah. Um... But what if he were to get somebody from the WWE to come over, too? I mean, who would fit? Who would be... Well, obviously, Daniel Ryan would be the ultimate, but yeah, who's, who's somebody that's more likely uh, and that it, it actually might have an impact? Like, I, you know, I, it, you I could point to somebody... You could point to, like, Zack Ryder, I guess. I, I got it. I got it. Similarly disenfranchised, but I don't think he'd have much of an impact. Is, is there somebody that would work? Oh, yeah. Uh, the one name I would go to absolutely first is uh, Dolph Ziggler. Ah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, so that's, so there's, so what I'm getting at is, okay, you, you were saying CM Punk would get you to tune in, but all the other crap might get you to tune out. Right. But if you get a Dolph, Z- Dolph Ziggler in the mix, yeah. and then you got at least two good matches on your card most nights, yeah. uh, something like that could really make it sustain, have a sustained successful run, you know. Yeah, and honestly, uh, I've I think a lot of people who have looked into TNA have heard that they've had some uh, some money troubles. So I could I could see um, either the Japanese promotion that they do dealings with sometimes, or Ring of Honor somehow stepping in and getting some financial backing and getting involved. And at that point it's more likely that CM Punk would go there because it's not necessarily the same people running TNA that ran it back when he hated it back in the day. And then you have the potential to have a whole lot of other guys who are exciting and could put on great matches and they could have interesting storylines. 
Um, and I think I think that is something that could help turn them around. But like you were saying, I think the linchpin would be CM Punk having to go and potentially one other guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe if you could get two. Uh, I mean, CM Punk plus one, then that could really put it over the top. Yeah, and Ziggler think, would work. And, you know, as you were, before you said Ziggler, I was thinking you might say Ryback. Uh, I don't know. He, I think Ziggler would probably be a better choice. But, but Ryback's another guy that's kind of disenfranchised on the same lines as those guys. Yeah. Probably should be getting a little more push than he, or a little more respect than he has been from the WWF at this point. Yeah, I, I could certainly see that. And I think I think there's a, there's plenty of guys in the indies right now who are entertaining enough and talented enough that they would go to TNA if CM Punk went to TNA, especially if some guys from Japan come over because there's, there's a lot of guys over in Japan who are pretty highly regarded as being great wrestlers and, and great talent and... Um, you know, I think if you had a guy like Colt Cabana, I think Colt Cabana could be every bit as entertaining as um, Santino. Yeah, well, yeah, as Santino or you know half the other guys in WWE, um, just based off of hearing his Art of Wrestling podcast um, and seeing a lot of what else he's done. Mm. Um, and he's a, you know, he's a great friend of CM Punk and then and then you would start to get guys better utilized like Samoa Joe um, who are already in TNA you would get Austin Aries better utilized um, and then you could have good matches with those guys against some guys who are already in TNA who are pretty good talents um, Bully Ray who used to be a Dudley boy uh, Chris Saban is really talented get some guys yeah. like uh, Sanjay Dutt in there who not a lot of people know but he um, was oh yeah yeah he's your yeah yeah it was uh, another uh Devary I was thinking of oh this yeah is here in uh Portland yep Sean uh, Devary he's pretty good so uh your favorite songs in the background there uh the latest NXT uh arrival oh god which surprising I actually thought maybe they would go with the other very accomplished diva in NXT, although I don't think they're calling him, I don't know that they're calling him divas there. Uh, Paige, who's the current champion, uh, she's really good. But well, they brought over Emma instead. They've had, they've had some feuds. Um, yeah, I was, I was about to say you got to you got to tell people whose whose theme song that is because well, it's pretty recognizable. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people might zone out when they start to see her on the screen. And, uh, you being one of them, huh? Yeah, oh, yeah. And you uh, you seem to think that I've kind of missed the boat on that. Yeah, well, I don't think it's your fault. Uh, I think they botched it. I think this is a classic case of the WWE assuming, you know, trying to force something kind of in the way they tried to force Fandango by having Jerry Lawler in the ring get everybody doing the dance the day after right. it or the, the week after it got big, you know. Yeah, and they just have her show up and do the dance, you know, as if it's like as if everybody's supposed to know. Um, at best, you need to have that happen like the day after WrestleMania when you got your smart crowd that knows her. Um, the way they did it 
yeah, it just it was force fed and it's not organic. And you know, if they if they had had her be in the crowd like like she was a lot longer, maybe right, I think it would have worked better. The first it, time I ever, you'd get some more mystery out of her, you know. Yeah. Well, the first time I ever saw her, I went to that house show at uh, George Mason, and uh, she was just the tag team partner of Natalia against um, AJ AJ Lee and uh, Tamina. Mm. And she was just a tag team partner. They didn't say anything about her. They didn't let her get her on the mic. They didn't you have. Think she was local talent. I didn't know who she was. I thought she might have been. Yeah. And then and then she's doing that stupid dance and. Uh, I mean, you guys can check out at GN Wrestling. I was tweeting during the event, and I think I, I think I said something about her. Yeah. It's like the dance is is, is not even as good as Fandango's dance. No, but if you see her at NXT, the entire arena does it. I mean, it's it's their guess practically. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I think they kind of botched it because she she got over organically in NXT. She could have got over organically top level too but instead they tried to force it and she's paired up with Santino so the first impression everybody has is that she's a joke right uh, but in reality she can wrestle pretty well and uh, you know she's got a decent personality like I've, she's been on the mic several times right uh, but right now she's just a mute that dances and, and I gotta say, um, usually what gets people interested in somebody is um, you see them show up, you see them attack somebody, you see them not get pushed around, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then people get interested once they start showing personality, like dancing to stupid music. Yeah. For me, it was the opposite. You see her dancing to stupid music, and it's like, okay, I, I'm done with this already. Mm-hmm. And then this week... Uh, you know, she gets in Summer Rae's face, or Summer Rae gets in her face for being at ringside during a Fandango match, and she gets shoved a couple times, and then uh, Evolution runs wild, tackles yeah. Summer Rae to the ground. They start brawling a little bit. I'm like, okay, now I now I care a little bit about Emma. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe she's good. I don't know. She got into the ring uh, at the house show, like doing a, a headstand. It's weird. I I don't get it, but. She's got potential, but right now, I just well, I want I want that dance off my screen. Yeah, I know. Well, it should be a good feud for AJ once they get to that, because um, really they haven't had a good face to go against her. I mean, I guess they had Caitlyn for a bit, but uh, the pit or uh, Emma will work for that, and Paige okay. eventually once she gets called up. And I, I fully intend on checking out NXT to try and figure out what I'm missing. Yep, and when the network comes out, you and I will uh, be watching NXT and adding that to our show, I'm sure. Absolutely, and NXT's pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah, Arrival. That's pretty yep. cool that they're doing that. I'll All right, well, it. that's that. I think that wraps up this edition. Yep, I think put so. A, put a lot down. So yeah. uh, next week we'll have our Elimination Chamber preview. No breaks. Yep. One show all the way through. Total nonstop action. I think we rocked it. All right. See you next week. Have a good one.